0: Hey, Phil Toronto here. This week on the Tartar Project, we're sitting down with Catherine Dockery, who's the founder of Vice Ventures. Vice Ventures is a fund completely focused on what we would consider vices. So everything from sex tech to alcohol, to cannabis, drugs, you name it, Uh, gambling, Catherine is looking exclusively at those deals um, and just trying to find companies that have exquisite brands within those categories. And why is that a bit of a difference? I'm glad you asked. Um, Typically venture capital funds have what's called a vice clause and Catherine explains uh, later on in the interview exactly why that's problematic and why that was an opportunity for her to launch a fund. Um, We cover a ton in the episode, everything from why chief of staff is one of the best roles in the business that you can, a bunch of Personal anecdotes and the roller coaster of Catherine's first business uh, in college, which you won't want to miss. So, thanks for tuning in and enjoy the interview with Catherine. Episode Target Project. Hello, your faithful host, Phil Toronto, here. I am here with my friend Catherine, the founder of Vice Ventures. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Can you give the Tartar Project listeners a rundown on what Vice Ventures
1: is? Absolutely. Vice Ventures is an early stage venture fund investing from pre-seed all the way up to Series A. Um, We invest in what we call Vices, um, which also could be classified as alcohol, nicotine, um, cannabis, sex positivities, uh, porn, anything sex tech, as well as uh, ketamine, MDMA, and psychedelics.
0: Pretty much all the fun stuff that traditional venture capital firms don't invest in, right? And
1: also things that I love. Every single one of Yeah. Amazing.
0: So. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, what were you doing? <laughs> that was so good. You got me shook for a second. That was so good. Um, we're going to take a bunch of steps back. Where'd you grow up?
1: I grew up in the West Village with my dad. He was a bartender at the Corner Bistro. Uh, well, first the Broom Street Bar and then the Corner Bistro. Uh, my dad is... So funny, honestly, one of the funniest people I know. He raised me on the mantra of try everything once except heroin. That's that, that was that I learned seems very
0: up. important. <laughs> That's a great guiding light.
1: <laughs> yeah, my dad is a funny dude. Um, yeah, my dad, he's hilarious. Um, anyway, and then, uh, yeah, really quickly. So, also, when I was a kid and my dad being a bartender, I spent so much time around alcohol to the point where I was like the only like seven-year-old that knew what like like Louis the 14th cognac was and like right. what the bottle looked like and like <laughs> what cognac was. Um, yeah, so that was definitely my childhood, which was very funny because then I went to NYU, which was a whole, I don't know, six blocks, maybe pushing it uh, from where I grew up to go to college. I am one of the few people that absolutely loved NYU. I had the best wow. experience, I know. Um, but for me going to school... This is going to sound terrible, but going to school for me wasn't like peak learning, like, got to do well, got to get A's. For me, it was like, okay, what is the most efficient way that I can get through college? And for me, that was working. And at the same time, like, joining study groups, figuring out like the, the, the way to get through school. So just so I could work. Um, oh, and when I was in college, oh, so, yeah. And then when I was in college, I uh, babysat every day for this very wealthy family that I uh, aspired to be like still. And and I also worked in investment banking. I worked on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, which I loved. Uh, I just worked like a variety of internships through college, uh, mostly yeah. unpaid.
0: Keeping busy, never trying heroin.
1: Yeah, definitely never not heroin. Although I am speaking of heroin, uh, not that I do heroin or whatever do heroin. I'm reading this incredibly fascinating book called uh, Drug Use for Grownups. And it's this doctor who's the author Uh, as a neuroscientist, and he actually argues that heroin is no worse than cannabis. In terms, I know, I'm like, I love this book, I can't put it down. I have like a lot of pages left. But uh, I do find it incredibly fascinating. Uh, So much so that he thinks that harm reduction, which is like usually like a drug that's less harmful than the previous one, right? Or if it's like giving needles to heroin users, right? So they can have clean needles to use. Uh, A lot of people would call that harm reduction he calls that uh not helpful whatsoever to the drug environment like he wants every drug to be legal he wants like free drug testing everywhere which i'm obviously 100% support um anyway not that you asked me but that was my story.
0: (laughs) i I probably would get to it so i appreciate you just like (laughs) jumping ahead so thank you When when you were in school, I know you did a bunch of internships and everything, but uh, outside of internships, did you have any entrepreneurial endeavors, or is that kind of just what you got into later in life? um, (laughs) This is a phenomenal
1: question that I don't know why more people don't ask me. First company I started, I was a freshman in college. And, and and I don't know if anybody knows this, but uh, the floor, the like the living floor that you live on at NYU, it's co-ed. So there's like women, men, whatever. Um, and we would always sit in the hallway at night, like drinking like the cheapest fucking vodka you can find. And then all of a sudden I was like, what if we design shoelaces and call them trendy ties and then sell them to kids? <laughs> Mm-hmm. so that these kids can be, like, excited to learn how to tie their shoes. So um, we had $30 that I made from babysitting the night before. We went out to Michael's in Kmart, which is very close on campus, um, and we actually <laughs> painted and designed shoes and everything until all of a sudden we realized we were $5 short on painting materials. So we called our friend's dad, one of the co-founders. He told us to fire half the team. So all of a sudden, me and this guy decided to fire the other two friends that were involved, there were four of us. Um,
0: <laughs> to make up the then, difference of the $5. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: and then we put them, their mattresses in the elevators um, and said that they were completely banished. Not that you asked me what happened no, with my first wild. venture, but... That's yeah, we went bankrupt. implemented. Actually, yeah, we didn't get the <laughs> yeah. We actually didn't get bankrupt, actually, uh, because my friend's dad bailed us out. Uh, Just the ones that weren't fired and still had equity, and he gave us twenty dollars each and told us to stop doing it. And we were like, "Wow, our first acquisition!"
0: Oh my god, yeah. That (laughs) you—that's a net positive return. I said it's almost two x. You squint.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that was the first business I started. The second business I started was called Corporate Chloe. There is a period of my college experience where I decided I wanted my name to be Chloe instead of Catherine. So I only uh, responded to Chloe mm-hmm. um, so much so, so that the like, when I randomly run into people, they're like, Oh, Chloe. And I'm like, "Oh my God. <laughs> um, anyway, though, anyway, so I started this business called Corporate Chloe. I, in college, got like a ton of interviews at Goldman Sachs, at BlackRock, D.P. Morgan, like you name it. And I realized that a lot of the kids on campus, that meant something to them, right? Like, getting an interview, like, at a Goldman Sachs was like, like, I really did do well in school, right? So then I was like, you know what? Like, I made my own resume. I write fantastic cover letters. Uh, I'm going to literally start a business called Corporate Chloe and do everybody's resume and cover letter between $20 and $45 each. Amazing. Yeah. And I made a ton of money on it. And then uh, I got in huge trouble by the school, actually. But uh, that only happened because I put a <laughs> a job posting on um, <laughs> the school's like job posting site, and I was like, I was like, uh, are you looking to get an interview at Goldman Sachs? Are you looking to talk to people at Blackstone? Corporate Chloe is, all the answers. And then the school reached out and they're like, oh, did you go for EIN? Like they didn't know it was a student. And I was like, fuck. And then they caught me and it was a whole thing. But I did walk away with like over $5,000. So for me, that was super meaningful at the time.
0: But that seems like that was on the up and up. That was a service-based business. Like it's not (laughs) like you were creating fake resumes or fake transcripts or anything that seems I started
1: amazing. careers I mean that's what I was kept telling myself at the time but yeah
0: I, I, I don't see the problem with that just because he didn't have an EIN I think that that's a little archaic <laughs> my opinion.
1: I mean you should be faculty at NYU I think the students would do a lot better if ah. you were involved it sounds like
0: thank you thank career you.
1: counseling I maybe something. I don't know
0: yeah we'll get into it maybe is my, my third act or something I don't know <laughs> potentially love it Post-NYU, what what did you jump into? Uh,
1: yeah, so so let me back up a little bit. So while interning uh, at NYU on the floor of the exchange, I started writing a blog called Dockery's Daily Docket that I woke up anywhere between like 4.30 and 5.30 a.m. Um, to send out by 6 a.m. So it was like the first email in people's inboxes. And basically what it was, it was an overview of what happened in uh, the public markets overnight, both in Europe and in Asia, uh, where the futures were right now. And then it was like a little paragraph that was news or something that I want to talk about. Uh, so a great example is that is I wrote about salmon in Norway um, and how prices of salmon were actually skyrocketing as the rivers were getting warmer and warmer, right? Because there's less quality fish and then fish are going totally. off and all of this. Yeah. So that post actually was written up um, and it <laughs> at the fish pool exchange in norway which is a real thing it's called the fish pool um and that blog specifically got me my first job on a trading desk at Citigroup, which was by far the worst job i've ever had in my life i hated it
0: fair but you demonstrated you could research and you had an audience
1: (laughs) oh no i'm not an idiot like i'm definitely not an idiot i know you're not an idiot yeah picked the wrong job for sure
0: totally yeah but
1: anyway so okay so going on your original question that you asked me about um yeah, so my first job was trading at Citigroup in a rotational program. It was the absolute worst job I've ever had, without question. I hated it so much. I It just questioned so much of what I believe to be true. Like, example A, getting to work at 6.30 in the morning. Like, why? Like, why? Right. That's so fucking archaic. There was zero reason to get. So I refused the entire time I was there. Uh, And then when I asked about it, I was just like, I think that you're asking me to do something that's inhumane. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to get here at 830 and I'm going to get the same amount of work done as everybody else. And they had no idea what to say to me. So they said, fine. Um, (laughs) And (laughs) I also, for those who know me, this is probably also not remotely shocking. uh, But I also refused to wear pencil skirts or suits or anything that wasn't fashion forward and loud. Uh, so i would wear polka dot pants i would wear like these really cute like white suede sneakers i had um i just like refused to do what they asked me to do uh so i quit (laughs) it's
0: one of the least surprising things i've heard on this podcast to be honest
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly exactly um yeah so i quit after my second bonus Uh, For the record, for the record, I was very far from getting the last bonus, the smallest bonus. So I did add some value somehow, somewhere. Um, But yeah, so I walked away uh, with savings, which I was super lucky about. I walked away with a boyfriend that then turned husband, which I got super lucky about. Um, Yeah, I mean, I hated that job, but the outcomes of it were really uh, favorable
0: for me. Yeah, totally. You made the best of it.
1: I got a husband.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Who also <laughs> is named Phil and also a phenomenal human being. I, I
1: love my chill Phil.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Just a lot of very important Phil's in your life.
1: <laughs> so many important Phil's.
0: That's so true. What'd you do after city?
1: Uh, that's a great question. So I had a bonus. I was living with my boyfriend. Now husband. If, I keep saying that. Cause it feels so weird to say boyfriend that we've been together for so long that I'm like, Oh, what? Yeah. Um,
0: he was never that. He was always my husband. Yeah. He <laughs> just didn't know it.
1: Yeah, yeah. He didn't know it. I knew it. I tell him all the time he didn't know it, but I knew it. Anyway, um, wait, what was the question? I'm sorry.
0: What well, was after City?
1: Yes. Uh, so I actually spent nine months unemployed after City. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I uh, did some contracting for some people, uh, but I hated the environment. I didn't find a lot of the people to be especially intelligent. And for me, it was hard to work for somebody that I didn't respect, um, which is really obvious when you say it out loud. Um, Yeah. So then I met Serendipity, the founder of Bonobos. And from there, he was like, will you be my personal chief of staff? And will you also do all of my private investments? And I I had no idea what any of that meant. But I was like, yes, definitely. Yeah, I'm in. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, I like your vibe. We'll work well together. Like, I'm so in. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's what I did after city. Uh, yeah. I also wanted to write this children's book really quickly in the time I had off, um, called a fork in a sushi shop. Okay. And I wanted to write about like this little like fork that's in like a Japanese Oriental, uh, store, you know, what I'm talking about like the daiya or something. Um, and showing that like, even though the fork is not part of this culture, Right. And doesn't necessarily deserve to be there. It doesn't mean that it doesn't have utility. Right. So that was kind of like the whole story. Is that that's like a nice message? Yeah, that's what I, was, I mean. I still I have written um, and I do. I do like enjoy days. So I have done some of it. But uh, it'll probably be one of those things that I will release by the time I'm 70. But oh, anyway, so much time. Yeah,
0: plenty of time. <laughs> uh, you'll get to that. No, probably probably from three, you'll be already banging it out. It's totally fine. <laughs> for for everybody listening that doesn't fully know even though it's it's probably one of the best roles that you could possibly have what what did chief of staff entail i loved it. it
1: i absolutely loved i loved it um so i was andy had an ea so i didn't have to do a lot of the ea work um but what i did do was i took meetings for andy i met with founders on behalf of him i was the first point of contact uh for a lot of people especially anybody in his portfolio um I just did a lot of everything, which I loved, right? Because it taught me how to manage an inbox, how to manage a schedule, um, how to manage running a business, right? Like what does a leader need to have time to do versus what are they doing right now, right? Like, like, Or what can I do to help? So that was definitely my favorite job. And I think the job that best set me up for what I'm doing now.
0: Oh, totally. And when you first got hired as chief of staff and you had to take care of the investing side of it. Was that, was that scary? How did you prepare for that? Or did you just jump right in like you usually do and yeah. you kind of did your thing?
1: <laughs> That's exactly what I did. I think, um, probably the best attribute I have if I, or if I can think of myself as one is being an autodidact, meaning that I teach myself a lot. Uh, so when I first inherited this portfolio, I didn't even know what a Series B was. Like, I really had to do a lot of like googling and figuring it out and understanding. So, part of that job was also figuring out what Andy invested in, and by doing that, you have to read all the legal documents, right, to figure out how many shares you own, what valuation, what like what the financial instrument was or whatever. So, being able to read all of the legal paperwork for dozens and dozens of businesses, uh, best training I think for this job.
0: Fair, okay. and when actually taking A step back because that's really interesting to be an autodidact. How do you approach getting up to speed on like a topic or something that you need to learn? Like what's, what's your, is there a playbook? Is it kind of case by case? How do you, how do you prepare yourself mentally to just absorb a massive amount of information and put that into practice? Cause you have to very quickly.
1: Yeah. uh, So I would say recently I've gotten into reading, uh, which is something that I wasn't super Jazz about for a long time just because i think having time to read is a privilege like honestly like yeah. if you have time to read like you that's really incredible you should be very proud of yourself i recently just found that to um so for me
0: and like books you mean like reading books yeah and- reading
1: books reading books like uh like learning about topics like figuring out how somebody else's learns right but uh but for me anyway books aside i would say that the internet is so unbelievably filled with information it's like ridiculous um, I, I, I mean, I could spend 16 hours Googling and like literally oh, yeah. like being down you know, all those very, very solid information. Um, yeah. So I guess that's probably how I do it. I mean, I also am very, very lucky that I have an incredible team, uh, who, I mean, they're so great. I love them, but they also very much help, um, in terms of when we have a knowledge gap in something.
0: Totally. When, what brought you to vice ventures from cheapest staff for Andy?
1: Yeah, so uh, I'm sure anybody who's listening probably knows this, but Walmart was acquired by Bonobos. And at that time, I was working for Andy.
0: <laughs> Bonobos. Oh, man, yeah.
1: <laughs> Bonobos was acquired. <laughs> Dream big, guys. Yeah, you um, can do it. You can do it. Um, but yeah, sorry, what was the question
0: <laughs> I got so distracted. <laughs> you, I'm sorry. That was my fault. What brought you from chief of staff into doing your own thing with vice ventures?
1: Okay, uh, so there's one person at Walmart that I, um, how do I say this kindly and intelligently? Um, I did not respect the intellect of, and I did not think um, they knew. This person knew how to think independently of what other people were saying. Uh, so because of that i was pretty unhappy and this was somebody who i had a lot of exposure to unfortunately i had to sit very close to but um, and just to
0: recap before you jump in you had to go over to walmart because bonobos yes. went over to walmart and that's yeah, yeah, yeah. what led you on that path and like it's not just like oh i woke up one day and now here i am i didn't realize yeah. but exactly. partially at the same time yes
1: <laughs> yeah i mean growing up in new york city there's no walmart here right? right so like the first time i ever worked at walmart or i ever went to walmart was working at a walmart right like and then I got this, like, uh, associate card where you could flip it over and, like, you, like, enter the digits into the uh, cashier or whatever. And I was so excited because I was like, oh, I'm going to get my 10% off. Yeah. And it didn't work because it said I wasn't in the system yet. And I was like, yeah. one time I'm going to use my discount. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. So there's one person at Walmart that I uh, – uh, I, like, usually I say that somebody has a medium intelligence. I – I found it incredibly unfortunate that I had to deal with it, this person. Um, and anyway, so that's kind of the reason why I decided to leave Walmart, just because I just was so fed up. I mean, this person made me cry like a hundred times. So I, I was just so fed up that I, I was like, "I'm leaving." Um, but to leave, <laughs> Andy was like, uh, "Just wait out your contract, like blah blah blah. Like interview at funds. Like you'd be a great investor." So I was like, okay, he's known me for a while. That's a great idea. Yeah. So <laughs> I start interviewing at a ton of companies and a ton of funds. And they all asked me to pitch a business. And I personally had invested in this canned wine business called Bev, who's, uh, I guess four and a half years ago, but their round uh, was just led by Founders Fund. Uh, they just closed an EG uh, Gallo deal, which is huge. Oh, yeah. um, anyway, so that, I just kept pitching Bev. I was like- like the brand is amazing, it's really strong. The product's strong, blah blah blah. And a lot of these fund managers were like, you know what? Like we love the founder, or like we just can't do it because we have this vice clause. Or I also heard a lot of like, oh, we invested personally, but like I can't invest out of the fund because we have this vice clause. I just kept hearing it over and over, and then I was like, what the fuck is a vice clause? Like why right. are you missing out on all these companies because you have a fucking goddamn vice clause? But anyway, so then I started asking these questions and learning and realizing that venture capital is like the tiniest asset class in like all of the financial world. Like it is so tiny. It's like minuscule. It's like a rounding error. Right. So when you think about that and you think about who funds these venture firms, it's usually a lot of endowments or pensions or family offices or anything. So I just, it was bananas to me that they would allow that somebody would allow their fate to be up to some of these institutions that totally. were acting incredibly selfishly, uh, and growing up, being my dad was a bartender, I also didn't think that making money uh, with alcohol by serving people alcohol was bad. Right. Like I didn't understand why it was stigmatized. It literally like paid for dinner for my dad and I, right? Like so that was really bananas. Um, yeah, so at that point, I was like, you know what? Like if nobody else wants to understand why vice investing is important, both culturally and economically uh i don't want to work for them and i was like i'll just do it myself and i'll right. call my ventures. and i found a lawyer whom i adore luke bagley who i think i introduced you to because all good people should know each other right um and he was like this is great he was like i'm in and i'm like okay what does that mean Right. <laughs> <laughs> he was like he's like i'll be your attorney i was like okay he's like you want to raise a fund right and i was like yeah and he was like it was silent exactly like that and i was like how do i do it and then <laughs> <laughs> this one he's like a partner at Cooley, like really young.
0: <laughs> I'm a come up.
1: I'm a come up. Hey, want to help me? Anyway, yeah, so he helped me put up, uh, set up the funds, set up SPVs, figure out track record, blah, 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 whatever. Uh, so I was very, very lucky that I had that attorney, for sure. He's amazing.
0: Totally. If you had to give advice to other people aspiring to be a fund manager around either maybe a unique angle like you were or maybe not a unique angle, what would you say outside of find a good attorney would be the first advice you would give them?
1: That was actually really quickly the worst advice I've ever received uh, by that same stupid person that I have no respect for. Um, this person was like, make sure you get a good attorney. And I was like, do you think I would have gotten a bad attorney? Right. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> anyway, um, sorry, I got so distracted and angered. Okay, I remember the question. Um, I would definitely tell people that nothing is actually personal like people like people just act in their best interest and it's like very rarely about you so if somebody says they have to pass after talking for 30 minutes and they're really upset about the family office it usually means that somebody's uncomfortable advice right it's it's not it's nothing to do with me it's not because of me um and i think that's the best advice to get outside from just being a founder or starting something right just like realizing that like so much of your life like It's about you because you think it's about you, not because everybody else thinks it's about you. Right.
0: It's really about them.
1: Always, like, like literally always. um, And then once you realize that, I mean, once I realized that, I thought it was incredibly psychologically interesting to understand why people say things and like why our leaders say things. I don't know. I got like really, I get really into this stuff. But
0: well, I mean, you didn't ask. Yeah. No, (laughs) I, I I did though. I did ask. I asked for advice, and you're giving me advice, and it's, it's fantastic. (laughs) <laughs> get a good lawyer yeah get a good lawyer first and foremost, he is a very nice person I have oh, to-
1: also the person that I despise oh my lord, Luke Bagley he's amazing I love him yes. so much but the person I despise uh, this person also uh, told me when I told this person that I was doing vice ventures after they told me to get a good lawyer and then I vomited and then they were like well at least make sure uh, that people respect you or something and I was like okay you're an idiot and then the second thing this person said to me was best of luck with vice capital i'm not sure it's going to succeed
0: so endearing
1: (laughs) so kind so thoughtful you know so helpful gives me so much confidence that my it could succeed i don't know meanwhile the person has yet to say a single positive thing so if you're listening you could say sorry and i would appreciate it
0: (laughs) thanks so much
1: (laughs) thanks so much
0: what um what, what was the process of plans? Cause did you, you close fund one?
1: I did close fund one.
0: Amazing. And where, where'd you, if you sh- can share, where did yeah, you no not sure.
1: Uh We ended up around 25 Amazing. at the last minute, uh, not the last minute, I would say probably like two and a half weeks before we were supposed to have a final close. We got some information and we decided that it made more sense not to dilute our early investors um, and to just close the fund and call it a concept fund. And, hopefully have a bigger fund too
0: amazing and when you were when you were fundraising um it probably took a little bit of time to get people to get comfortable with vice even though it's a really brilliant idea and probably everyone you said it to was like oh that makes a lot of sense and then when it came time to wire it was just like crickets um <laughs> how did you approach the early deals because i know you mentioned um spvs which where yeah. the listeners are special purpose vehicles
1: uh, so the first SPV I did was for a company called Recess, which I'm sure a lot of people know at this point. Uh, CBD sparkling water. That was the very first SPV I wrote and like and inv- like and founder I truly 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 believed in. Um, so that we did that first, and then we did a company called um, Ten to One Rum. Mark. Yeah, Mark Fell. Yeah, shout out to him. He's a genius. Uh, so I did SPV there, and then from there. Uh, My lawyer was like, you should do like three or four more. And I was like, fuck that. I'm raising my phone. So I put together the deck. Um, I had no idea what I was doing. Like almost no idea. I sent it out to, I was like, in my mind, I was like, who is the smartest, most powerful, richest person that I can think of that I have the email address of? And it was Mark Andreessen. So I just cold emailed him and he he was like, I love it. So I met with him. Um in San Francisco and his brain truly operates like a computer. He's so smart. It's crazy. Like every, like the way he processes and then the questions he's asked, like nobody's ever asked me the same questions. And it was such like a high stress moment that I don't even remember what they were. Right. <laughs> yeah. I just remember being like, being like, Oh man, like this isn't the same ones over and over and over again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's, that's not on part of the script.
1: Whoop, what's God, happening? Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, after he committed, uh, well, before he committed, we got a lot of fund managers. So, PE fund managers, hedge fund managers, uh, who basically very, very quickly understood the gap in the market and the ability to make money, uh, especially because, yeah. And uh, yeah, then from there, it was Mark and Jason signed. And then we got a lot more people interested. Totally. Yeah, which was a blessing. I mean, he- also, I, I'm not going to lie, it was very surprising to me. I was like, wow, people believe in me? I was like, right. <laughs> thank you so much.
0: I appreciate Let's that. go! Yeah. <laughs> when, when you're considering an investment, is there any one thing that is super important for you? Like, it, it must check this box, otherwise I'm out.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, we look for honest, truly honest founders, right? Founders who put up, who are like, we're closing next week. We're like, nope. Not not a fit, right? Like founders who come and they're like, we're all about wellness, we're about wellness. And you're like, okay. And you look at the back of the beverage, this beverage company, and there's like 22 grams of added sugar. And I'm like, how on earth are you claiming to be wellness if you have 22 grams of added sugar in your beverage? Right. Um, So just examples of that are things, companies and founders we would never invest in. Um, Yeah, but that, and then also another aspect is that uh, for us to invest, the brand has to be phenomenal. Right, like recess is a great example because if you think about recess, almost every American has had a recess, yeah. right? Like
0: yeah, or has seen it on the shelf Yeah,
1: <laughs> exactly. Or like I meant like as a kid having a recess.
0: Recess. I actually <laughs> meant the can. I was like, I was doing the quick math. I'm like, well, 300. Well, I don't know. I'm I so if, excited I don't know just- that you <laughs> <Yeah>. said
1: that. <laughs> 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 way to make my day
0: yeah my pleasure my pleasure yeah. <laughs> but yes a recess as a subject in school yes almost yeah. every american has definitely done that
1: yes yes exactly <laughs> um, and then the round we're leading now deloche which is a uh, naturally caffeinated canned cocktail company say that three times fast i double dog you oh my god it's so difficult um yeah so we're excited about that for sure. And, and that, uh, passes the smell test for us, especially because the founders are so great. Uh, they've been super transparent with us. We've worked very closely together. Uh, it's, we've got like, we're even helping them, uh, with the idea of launch. Like how do you launch in the middle of a pandemic? Right. Uh, so it's, I don't know, it's been really, that's been super, super fun. You didn't ask me about that, but yeah, so brands are important. And then people obviously are important, right? Like I would never want to, work with an asshole like i just that's yeah. really something that i want to do yeah, yeah. um yeah but then product is important too that the actual product but it changes so often right that like as long as the again the, back to the theme of intellectual honesty uh if this person is honest enough they know that this is going to change all their times. right like yeah yeah like totally. just get it as close to good as long as possible and just keep it moving
0: makes total sense and since brand is so important, how do you approach building the brand of Vice Ventures?
1: Oh, wow. That's the first time somebody's ever asked me that. Literally the first oh, wow. time. I know. Um, wow. it's never really thought about that before. Okay. Mark Andreessen,
0: um, Phil Toronto, <laughs> Catherine Dockery.
1: <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Dot, dot,
0: dot. Exactly.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> but... Um, yeah. I mean, the brand of these ventures, we did something, which I think a lot of funds are scared to do and don't do is that we hired a PR firm very, very early. Or like we launched with PR. And for me, I wanted to set the brand up correctly before we did a lot of investing. So actually after the first close, we didn't even call capital for like two and a half months. Wow. Because for us, we realized that if you look at successful funds, they have strong brands, right? Because a strong brand is what attracts deal flow. So for me, I was like, I would much rather like I'm so bad at attention. You would never guess it. Like quarantine has been amazing for me, which is super, super, super uh, selfish to say. But uh, it was very difficult for me actually to be in front of the press all the time. It was incredibly difficult. Like I didn't sleep the night before the CNBC interview because I was so nervous, right? But I realized like, again, like this is not about me. This is about my investors and this is making money for my investors and at the same time this is overcoming stigmas in this category that shouldn't necessarily be there uh just because i i also like very very strongly believe that if people were more uh like open and more welcome to talk about their drug use i just think that addiction would be so much lower than what it is right now right and i think one of the biggest poison thoughts is that people couple addiction with drugs or vices in general, and it's very rarely the case. Like, very rarely are people who drink out, like, wine alcoholics, right? Like, and, like, being able to talk about what you're drinking, like, maybe you do avoid becoming an alcoholic at that point, right? Yep. Um, Yeah, yeah, so, I mean, it's much more complex than that, obviously, but...
0: Yeah, and and not have to deal with it personally behind the closed door and have more of a support system, and, yeah, I totally agree with you.
1: Yeah, yeah. interesting.
0: Um, Two questions, and I'm going to let you get back to your day. Uh, the first is, what is your life mantra or motto, if you have one?
1: Uh, so this is going to, I don't know if this is, okay, I'll just tell you. When I was a child, starting in, I think it was pre-K or kindergarten. It's going to make me sound totally psychotic, but I am, so it's fine. Um, <laughs> literally, was like, <laughs> excuses are for the weak and unemployed. That's what I said. From, I think I was like five, four, five, or six around there. Pre-K. Pre-K, upwards. Wow. Excuses are for the weekend unemployed. Wow! I wanted Big Ranch my entire life. Mm. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie to you. Like no, I appreciate that. What kind of psychotic child says that.
0: <laughs> that's that's a that's intense. Do you do you still apply that <laughs> to this day?
1: No, I mean like I have a better understanding, right? Of like. <laughs> unemployment and the ability not to work and also being 28 and not being six right like kind of yeah. gives you another perspective on employment it's for the weak and unemployed but
0: yeah that's yeah that, I, i'm glad i'm glad that you've come <laughs> excuses <around.
1: laughs> are for the weak and unemployed is what i should say um it made one of my teachers cry
0: oh wow i didn't care that her yeah, that's fair
1: <laughs> so she give giving my test back on time, and it was three weeks late, and I needed to know what my midterm score was going to be because I had to prepare to tell my dad if I failed or passed, right? So I was like, this is your responsibility to get this done. Yeah. And then she was just like, it's so difficult. And I was like, excuses for the week when I'm Mic drop. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Last question, then I'll let you go. Where can people find you in Vice Ventures? On uh, the internet or anywhere?
1: Um, in Vice Ventures, for sure. We're cool. super, super responsive at InfoAt, uh, whether it's a company, whether you're just looking to connect in general. Uh, we would be totally love to meet you.
0: Amazing. Thank you for doing this. Thank you. <laughs> I'll talk to you soon.
1: Bye.